0: Right now, we are going to finish Life with God. This is our last week. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, because we're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. Raise your hand. Keep them up. We'll get you a Bible. And as you do that, if you're coming, and this is like your first time, you're coming at the end of a movie. We're finishing a seven-week series called Life with God. Let me just get us all on the same page. Jesus, when he came, he said, he gave a great promise. He said, I have come to give you life, in its fullest in its fullest measure abundant life is what it's called and uh, really the whole New Testament is a description of this life that he offers and how we can step into it but what's so interesting is for many of us we don't live that life we don't think really yeah our life is so much better because Jesus is in it maybe we look at people around us and we think well maybe it's a little better and maybe I feel a little more confident that when I die I'll go to heaven But that is not what Jesus meant alone. He meant it really can be so much better right now. So we've taken the last seven weeks to talk about how does connecting with Jesus actually make our life better? And we use a metaphor, a house metaphor, of God connects to us on a main floor, sort of in our day-to-day life. We talked a bit about that. We talked about how God comes to us when we're in the basement, when we're doing things we shouldn't do, when our life is going really hard. That he comes down, actually, and he wants to give us life to get us out of the basement. And then the last two weeks, and now the third week, we're going to talk about the upper room. And the upper room, in this house metaphor of the house that I grew up in, was where my dad was. His study was upstairs. He was a university professor. And I always knew that if I wanted to connect with my dad, I just had to go to the upper room, up to the study. And he would be there. And it was always a comforting thing for me to know that I could find him any time that I needed him. And what we've been talking about is how do you connect to your heavenly father? How, How does that actually happen? And two weeks ago, we talked about kind of the thing we celebrate with Christmas is Jesus came into the world to connect us to the heavenly father, to open the door to the upper room so that we could have an intimate personal relationship with him. Today what I want to talk to you about is another part of God, another member of the Trinity that actually keeps us up in the upper room, keeps us in relationship with God, helps us to maneuver around, to build intimacy, to serve him with the right heart, to do all these things. And so that's who we want to talk about today. If you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read a section of scripture that's only two verses long, starting in verse 13. All right, so I think we're bringing it up on the screen. Hey, let's read this together, okay? It says this, "...when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory." And um, this is not to belittle what we just read, but I know that when I'm sitting somewhere and somebody reads a really heavy theological statement like that that has a whole bunch of words that I'm not sure how they connect or what they mean, uh, again, and this is not to be sacrilege, this is only probably for me, but I read a statement like that, and it sounds to me sort of like the teacher in Peanuts. You know, it's sort of a wah-wah, wah-wah-wah, wah-wah-wah-wah-wah-wah, and, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's frightening because I don't get that. I don't get what that means. And so what we want to do is we want to peel that back because what that means is so relevant and so incredible that in the next 30 minutes, I want to convince you that this is the best present you could possibly get as we enter into the present giving season. This is an amazing, amazing statement that uh, God makes to us about what he does for us. And really all has to do with how do we stay in the upper room. Uh, The first statement that we want to look at is this idea that there is this promised Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Some of you know a lot about the Holy Spirit. You don't need an introduction. Some of you, you hear the word Holy Spirit and you're not sure exactly what we're talking about. So let me just give you a really quick idea The Holy Spirit is considered the third member of the Trinity, the Godhead. So you have God the Father, God the, and God the Spirit. Right. And so they're all God, and they have different functions, basically. Hard to explain, sort of hard to to understand. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a? he a person he's always referred to as a he never an it so if you think sort of a ghost is an it the holy ghost that's not the concept of the new testament he has personality there are things he likes there are things he doesn't like just as god is a he god the father god the son is a he god the spirit is a he as well the holy spirit is not the force In Star Wars, and George Lucas is awesome, and I love that movie, but this idea of, you know, just let go and let the force lead you, that is not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is God. And he is actually, believe this or not, because I think everybody would say, Jesus is the one I'm the most intimate with. I'm going to show you in a second that, no, that's not true. You are actually the most intimate with the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you a great reason. Whereas Jesus uh, and the Father live outside of you, the Holy Spirit lives in you, lives in you. It's an amazing statement that there is a part of God, a part of the Godhead, that when you become a Christian actually comes into you. And that's what it's talking about here when it talks about the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus made a promise on the last night that he was alive, last night with his disciples. He's talking about the fact that he's about to leave, he's about to to check out. They're not going to see him anymore. I mean, he did resurrect, and they saw him for a short time, but but basically everything is going to change right now. And he says, but you know what? This isn't really a bad thing, because even though I'm leaving, I am sending to you this Holy Spirit. And right now, the Holy Spirit is just with you. He's sort of with you the way I'm with you, but there's a time coming where he's not going to be with you. He's going to be in you you're going to have a part of God in you helping you live the life that Jesus promised to give you it is the most just the most amazing you couldn't come up with it if you were coming up with a theology you couldn't figure it out because it just goes beyond that that God's going to live inside of you through the Holy Spirit And so Jesus said these words in John 16, 7. It's on your program. Don't flip your Bibles there that quick. Uh, We're only there for a second. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying, it's been great to have me around, and I've been able to teach you and model to you, and you've been able to walk with me, and it's been a pretty cool thing. But you're going to need more than that, actually. As you move into your future, you're not going to just need somebody that shows you the right way. You're going to need somebody that helps you move in the right way. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's called an advocate here in this verse. If you have other translations, maybe some of you do, uh, there's other words that are used sometimes. Sometimes the word counselor is used. Sometimes the word comforter is used. Sometimes the word helper is used. And the reason for it is because the Greek word that is used, the paraclete, we don't have have a word in the English that means paraclete. So let me give you the best shot at paraclete. Paraclete means, in that day and age, the one who comes alongside to help you out. The one who comes and helps you do something that you cannot do on your own. That's what paraclete means. Uh, literally, uh, back in that day and age, it was like a lawyer that would come in and help you. Or it might even be a witness that would come in and help you. It even broadened out. It would be like some artisan that would come in and you know, like fix your house because you couldn't fix your house. It was the idea of somebody that came in to do something that you couldn't do on your own. So you may need a paraclete in the weeks to come. For some of you, the way you're going to eat over the next two weeks, you're going to have to call in like some kind of physical trainer to help you get back in shape, right? <laughs> some of you are going to have you know, New Year's resolutions that I need to take off the weight I'm gaining right now. And that trainer would be a paraclete. Some of you um, are going to spend crazy over the next couple of weeks. And you're going to, in January, look at your visa bill. And you're going to say, we need to call a financial consultant. And that financial consultant would be a paraclete. Some of you are going to have such a good time at a party that you're going to find yourself needing to call a lawyer. And that will be your, but you're not going to, right? Not really, because we're going to, no, I know. But anyway, you have the idea of a paraclete. A paraclete is somebody that comes and does something that you can't do. So what does the Holy Spirit do that we can't do? What is the role that he plays? And uh, to use this metaphor that we've been talking about, he helps us operate in the upper room. He helps us relate to a God that is so big and so majestic and so beyond anything that we can, see, can conceive, something that we would say, it's impossible for me to relate to God. I just don't get him. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. The Holy Spirit helps us live a life that Jesus says, I want you to live this life like, you know, love your enemies, like serve other people and don't always try to get ahead, like don't manage your image, but just trust God with it. Things that are so unnatural to us, things that we could never do in our own strength. I mean, just to be totally honest. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I can help you do that. I can help you live the life that Jesus died to give you. That's the role that I play. I'm the paraclete. I come alongside. And so we look at the Holy Spirit, and here's some of the things in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit uh, guides us. So when you're at a point where you don't know how to make a decision, the Holy Spirit actually comes in and helps you. And it's interesting for me this week, I've been wrestling through some stuff and I've been trying to figure out some stuff and I've lost some sleep trying to figure out all this stuff. And I've constantly been praying, Holy Spirit, please guide me, please guide me, please guide me. Help me figure this out. I can't figure it out on my own. And it's one of the great things the Holy Spirit says, I'll work with you. I'll partner with you. We'll do this together. He strengthens you. And that's that kind of strength where you get to a point where you just say, I cannot go on. Maybe some of you are there right today. It was all you could do to even come to church. I cannot go on. And then somehow you do. And somehow you continue to move in the right direction. And do you understand? It's the Holy Spirit that's come in and he's helping you. Maybe in an invisible way. You didn't even know he was doing it. And he's strengthening you and helping you. He orchestrates things. Sometimes when you say, what a coincidence. Exactly what I needed to have happen, happened. This is just the most amazing thing. Maybe there's a God. And it's like, yes, there is a God. There's a Holy Spirit. And he orchestrated that. That wasn't just coincidental. It was providential. Holy Spirit maneuvering things. He does things even outside of you. Sometimes you're just like, this situation can never get better. And by yourself, it never will but the Holy Spirit orchestrates it. He gives words of courage and words of encouragement, and he helps you move through. There are so many things. He comforts you. Have you ever, how, just raise your hand, how many of you every, of you have ever had peace in a circumstance where there should have been no peace? Just raise your hand if that ever happened to you. Do you know why? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked inside of you to give you a peace that pulled you away from the circumstance and said, but there's something inside of me that is stronger than what's in the world. That was the Holy Spirit. He was the one that did that. This is the promise that's given. And the first thing to know about getting and operating in the, whole, in the upper room, it's a supernatural job, and you must have the Holy Spirit to do it. But he was promised, and he comes to you and does that. So that's the first thing. I love what Charles Stanley says. The Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father to assist us in all practical matters of Christian living. It is a great statement about the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In Ephesians 1.13, the Holy Spirit is called a seal. A seal. And so in the Old Testament, we don't have as many seals today as they did back then. Uh, A seal was something that was put on a package or on an envelope, Uh, Sometimes it was put on an animal in the form of a brand. It was even put on slaves, uh, a slave or a servant that was part of a family, to mark identification, to say, there is an owner of this, and this seal shows ownership. And so that was a common idea. And so when Paul uses this phrase here, the Holy Spirit is a seal, who do you think it is that the Holy Spirit Seals you too. Who owns you, do you think? Who is the owner of you? If you have the seal of the Holy Spirit, it is God, God the Father. Now, that is an invisible seal that we can't see, right? I mean, nobody walks around, has a big old mark on their forehead. I mean, mine would be bigger than most. You know, you don't see it. But let me tell you this. The New Testament is really clear That the spirit world sees it. That Satan sees it. That the angels and the demons, well, they see it. That seal of the Holy Spirit is your identifying mark. Sometimes people wonder, I wonder if I'm really a Christian. And the, the cleanest answer I know for if somebody is a Christian is they have the seal of the Holy Spirit. It is a seal that never rubs off. You can never lose it. It is permanent. Once you have that seal, you are sealed in. And another amazing thing occurs with the seal is that God steps up and says, You are now mine. You've been identified as mine, and I will protect you. There was a phrase in the Old Testament that was used for protection. And uh, it wasn't always God saying it to its people. In fact, most of the places in the Old Testament, it isn't God saying it. It's a king saying it about the people in his kingdom. It's a father saying, about, uh, saying it uh, about his children. is they said this: "Not a hair on your head will fall to the ground." That's what a protector would say. And you're all wondering, where's Kevin's protector? <laughs> it's like okay so it's just a saying okay but but here was the saying the saying meant this the saying meant this that um where lan I saw you a second ago raise your hand lan yes if if I was your protector and I said not a hair on your head will fall to the ground what it would really be saying is that if anybody is going to hit you they've got to come through me first I will put my reputation, I'll put my power, I'll put my own safety in between anyone that will do damage to you. And that was the concept of not a hair on your head. And it could even be the, the idea here is no matter how small the harm is, no matter how, you know, how much it seems like, um, that, that's not that big of a deal. It's sort of like somebody saying, nobody better even look sideways at this guy because you're going through me to do it. That was the concept. Now, A very interesting statement is made by Jesus, and I don't have this um, either on the screen or in your uh, bulletin, on your outline. So if you're a fast-turner, you can go to Luke 21 if you can get there quickly. And if not, just listen to what I'm going to read. Luke 21, verse 16. Jesus is talking to his followers, and he makes a really interesting statement. He says, first this, you will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, brothers, and sisters relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death so um you know jesus never went to the school of how to effectively recruit followers because this is not how you get people in the game you don't say hey come and follow me and your closest friends will betray you and some of you will die But, you know, Jesus, Jesus just did that wasn't his approach. So he makes a pretty clear statement. This is going to be, this will be a hard, hard, hard journey. I'm not promising you that there won't be some uh, damage done along the way. Okay. Then he says, everyone will hate you because of me. So even if they can't get to you and actually physically hurt you, well, they'll hate you. They're just going to hate you. So, you know, everybody's lining up to, to sign up for this task. And then Jesus says this, which is so weird. He says, but not a hair of your head will perish. And you're like, I don't know that I care about the hair on my head if I'm laying in a pool of blood on the ground because I've been killed. You know, what is that? What is that? Problem? Why do you bring that out? You just told me it's going to be so hard, so damaging, that there's going to be all kinds of pain that I face. And then you say, not a hair on my head is going to be like fall to the ground. And the key to it, then, is the final statement. So listen, because most of you aren't there. Just listen to what he says. He says, stand firm, and you will win life. Stand firm, and you will win life. And what Jesus is getting to is he's saying this abundant life, this intimacy with God, this ability to maneuver in the upper room, this ability for you to have the Holy Spirit empower you, and protect you this ability for you to feel closeness to god that is just the most amazing thing this ability for you to have hope in the most hopeless situations or peace in situations that are just chaotic this abundant life this life that you were made for there is nothing nothing that can damage you or damage that because you're sealed by the holy spirit because he protects you that will not be taken away now Things can be taken away on this earth, and we all live a life of that. Things coming and going, and we get some things, and things are taken away, and we have highs and lows, and that's the part of living, and Christians live that way, and non-Christians live that way, and everyone lives that way. The point that's being made here is this life that's been promised to you, this life that I have died to give you, this life cannot be harmed because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And for anyone, for Satan, for the demons, for any person to come in and try to pry that life out of you. Here's what Jesus is saying. They would have to go through me. They'd have to, and they're not getting through me. I will not allow it. We are protected. It is the seal of protection. The final image that is given here that Paul talks about is he talks about a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That word for deposit uh, is still used in modern Greek language today. If you go over to Greece and a man gives a woman an engagement ring, the word for engagement ring is this word, deposit. Arabon is the Greek word. Arabon is still used as a wedding ring. And a wedding ring, of course, is a promise. It's a promise that a man makes to a woman before they're married that I'm going to marry you, that you can count on it. I'm giving you this really valuable thing to just show you that I am serious about this and I am fully committed. It's a down payment, as it were, to this marriage. That is the concept here. Now, this is the most amazing thing. If God was to come to you and say, listen, I want to give you abundant life, I want to give you life after you die. I want to give you heaven. I want to give you an eternal existence. I want to give you all the things that come along with what it means to be in a relationship with me. And if God came to us and said, so what will you give me to sort of secure your part of that? What deposit will you make if you're going to get a payout like that? And, you know, for most of us, we go, that's reasonable. I mean, if God's going to put up all this stuff, we should at least put in a deposit. We should at least put in some kind of good faith gesture that we're interested, that we want to walk that way. But here's the most amazing thing. The Holy Spirit is not a deposit that we give to God. It's a deposit that God gives to us, saying, I'm good for it. I promised you that in the future, you're going to be perfected. I promise that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And just to show that I'm good for it, I'll give you the Holy Spirit right now. He will be your deposit. It's like God saying, I just want you to know I'm good for it. I'll come through on the promise I made you, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit, you hold the Holy Spirit, and that will just tell you that I'm good for it. It's an amazing thing that God does. You just see him coming at us constantly. This idea of Jesus saying, I want to give you abundant life, a life that you can't imagine, and he keeps on saying, let me prove to you that I really want to give you this life. So I want to close uh, our time here, and I want to close this series By just giving you a really practical statement about so how do I partner with the Holy Spirit if that's what He wants to do? How do I actually partner with the Holy Spirit? And there is a a passage um, five chapters later in the book of Ephesians, and if you've got if you're in Ephesians, just flip over to Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. And uh, Paul makes really an amazing statement. But again, this is the kind of statement that we just sort of glide over. We don't realize how significant it is until we stop and look at it. In Ephesians 5.18, uh, Paul begins by giving us a great advice on how to handle New Year's Eve. He says these words. Uh, why don't we read it together? He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Debauchery, that's a word you don't use a lot, but uh, nothing good comes from debauchery. And then these words, which are actually the words I want us to focus on. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Now, I want to tell you something about the way that's set up that you could never possibly know by just looking at it, and I couldn't know by looking at it. But if you're able to read the Greek and study the phraseology, uh, the verb that is used, be filled, is what's called a passive imperative. Okay, so you guys are like learning something you just never thought you'd learn, that there is a verb tense called the passive imperative. So let me explain to you what the passive imperative is. Uh, It's an imperative, okay? And do you guys know what an imperative is? I mean, like I don't, so you you don't have to be embarrassed if you don't. An imperative is a command. So if I said, get out, that would be an imperative, okay? It's like, get out, or you know, march, or stop, whatever. It's sort of like, You know, it's a command. You know, don't do this. Do this. The idea of an imperative is you have control over doing it, right? I mean, I can't tell you to do something. I can't say, fly! You know, like, I can't do that. In other words, the idea is you've got some kind of control, or I couldn't give you an imperative. An imperative is something you have control over. Uh, But this is called a passive imperative. In other words, uh, be filled is not he's not saying fill up he's saying be filled and that's a passive that's something that is done to you right if you're gonna be filled in a way you don't have control over it because something else needs to fill you up and so this is a really interesting phrase and uh, probably the greatest living New Testament scholar right now says this is the key believe it or not that phrase right there be filled by the Holy Spirit is the key to Christian living. It is the, it, this is the statement of how you live the Christian life. And it's this passive imperative, this, this mysterious thing of you're to do it, but you can't really do it because you've got to receive it. So I want to give you an illustration of how this works. Okay, um, How many of you have ever paddleboarded before? You know the big surfboards? All right, young people, yes, OK. I've done it one time, uh, and it was ugly. So, um, paddleboarding. Okay, so we got a picture of a paddleboard. Uh, anybody know who that is? Matt Damon. Woo! You know what, Lo, you're going to love this. When I was at Irvine, I showed this picture. I said, Does anybody know who this is? Somebody said, Lo Norris. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Christine, didn't you say that? Oh, okay. All right, so. No. All right. So anyway, here's the deal. Some of us approach the Christian life and we think that everything about walking with Jesus, living the life that he said, is up to us and it's our energy and it's whatever we can do. We've got the paddle. We've got the board. However hard we work is how much success we'll have. And a lot of people approach their Christian life that way. They just think it's up to them. They're real good on the imperative side. Uh, but how many of you have ever done what Hobie Alter is doing here? Next picture. None of you, because this, for some reason, never caught on. But you, you know Hobie Sports? This is the guy that invented Hobie Sports, Hobie Alter. And uh, this was one of his inventions that didn't take off so much. But some of us approach our Christian life like this. We believe that it's all up to God. God does it all, and I really don't participate. I just sit back, let go, and let God, and let God do his thing in my life, and you know, I'll do whatever I do, but God's going to change me, and I don't have much control, and we've really got the passive part down, the passive side of the passive imperative. I understand the passive. I can't add to anything. I'm just going to sort of go along for the ride. All right, so uh, some of us then, how many of you ever windsurfed like this? Okay, I've never done that. That looks super hard to me. Uh, I was about to say that that is me, but that guy's got hair, so that doesn't work. Um, Windsurfing is a really interesting thing. What powers, what moves you forward, actually, in windsurfing? Wind. But can you be totally passive and expect that that's going to work? No, that guy does not look passive to me. It looks like he he is being active, but he's not being active moving himself forward. He's being active doing what? Catching the wind. His job is to catch the wind. And do you know an interesting thing? Do you know what the word for spirit is actually in in the Greek? It is the word wind. Spirit, it's the same word, pneuma. Wind, spirit. Passive imperative is windsurfing. It's catching the spirit. It's opening yourself up so that spirit works in your life. It's admitting that you don't have the power. The spirit's got the power. You don't have the wisdom. The spirit's got the wisdom. You don't have the peace. The spirit's got the peace. You don't have the courage, but the spirit does. But your job is to actively prepare yourself to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. That's your job and so it's a passive imperative prepare yourself for the spirit's work set yourself up so the spirit can work in your life and then yield and let the spirit work then let the spirit do his thing the passive imperative it is the key to living life in the upper room it's the key to living the christian life it's the passive imperative and so let me just tell you three things you can focus on there's a lot more than three and, and, and so I'm not trying to give you a formula. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how you do it. Here's one of the reasons we have such a hard time with a passive imperative and hearing the Spirit is because we move too quickly and we never slow down enough to let him talk to us. And so um, whether you're going to start reading the Bible or journaling, having periods of time on a regular basis where you actually slow down So you would give the spirit a chance to impress you with a thought or to give you a conviction or to make something that you're reading in the Bible stand out so all of a sudden you feel like it's personal for you. And I know for many of you, you've said, I've had that experience. Your part of catching the wind is to slow down. It is to make space to give the Holy Spirit room to empower you and to guide you and to give you peace. Another part of that is then to listen. And this is the reason for me that journaling is such an important thing, is because when I journal, uh, and when when the Holy Spirit puts thoughts in my mind, and just so that you know, I've never had an audible voice. It's never that way. He just puts thoughts in my mind, and And sometimes I have to wonder, is that from the Holy Spirit? Is it not? Uh, But you know what? The more you do it, the more you start to really understand. You start to uh, identify the Holy Spirit's promptings and his thoughts and so forth. And for me, journaling is such a great way because I have to slow down to write. And then I start writing things. I'm like, that did not come out of my mind. That is not the way that I would do that. This decision and the stuff I've been working through this week Uh, Yesterday, I spent some time just slowing down. And a thought came into my mind that I know I didn't put there. And it was the Holy Spirit, because I gave him space, and I listened. And here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit will prompt you. The Holy Spirit will give you uh, sort of marching orders at times. And it's up to you, then, if you're going to take off and do it. You are never totally passive in the sense of not needing to use your will or your discipline to move on something. Once the Holy Spirit gives you a prompting, gives you an idea, hey, you need to go apologize to that person, Holy Spirit is not going to just say, but you know, don't move on anything until I give you the desire to do it, until I actually, you know, all these things. He's going to say, I've told you now. Now you're a big boy you got big boy pants on, you can go ahead and start to move on that and I'll go with you, I'll orchestrate that situation actually. But you are partnering with me, I'm not carrying you, you are partnering with me. So whether it's apologizing, or asking for forgiveness, or loving somebody that's unlovable, or standing courageously in a situation where you're, it'd be a lot easier to compromise, or figuring out how to get out of the basement. Holy Spirit will help you on all that and he'll prompt you. He'll say, I've now told you. Now I need you to move. And as you move, I will walk with you. We'll make something good come out of something that's bad. That's the move of the Holy Spirit. It's the passive imperative. It is the key to living the Christian life. The Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father to help you in all practical matters of Christian living. It is how you live in the upper room. If you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for us (laughs) as we close up our series. Lord, you are a magnificent God, and you come to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for many of us, the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious. It is the one that we We don't understand that we don't really partner with much because we don't get it. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just help us with that. Help us to partner with your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we don't do life on our own. We thank you that we celebrate Jesus coming into the world to connect us to you, Father. And today we celebrate the Holy Spirit that connects us and keeps us intimate with you, living the life that you want us to live. So we thank you for that. We pray this week as we move into our day-to-day living. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and live with us. We thank you for all the good things that you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.